136 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. These next two songs we're going to sing talk about the goodness of God. And I just want us to meditate on those truths this morning. Let me read it again to you. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Jesus, we thank you for that truth. And God, I pray for my friends this morning that you would meet them in a powerful way as they choose to set this time aside and apart to praise you, to focus their hearts on you. God, we love you. We thank you that you are a faithful and a good, good father. In Jesus' mighty name,
Jesus. Thank you for your presence. In your mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So we have all these donations that have been coming in and we're gathering them up each week and then taking them out to the apartment that has been selected by the school district, handing them out to the families that are there that are needing them and it's just a blessing. Yes, and we get to continue to do this through the generosity of Grace Church. We always say at Grace that no one stands alone and we really want to be that presence for our community, that they are not alone, that we, will, we are here to serve them and help meet their needs. So if you would like to be a part of that, you can give online. Um, and we are going to go into our time of giving, which we express as a part of our worship, that we give unto God because He is a good God. Everything that we have belongs to Him. So will you join me as we pray for our offering this morning? Father, we thank you, Lord, that everything that we have is from you. And God, would you help us to continue to trust you, even with our finances. We choose this morning to give with a grateful heart. God, we thank you for the abundance that we do have, God. We love you and we give unto you in your precious name, amen. There are four ways to give. You can check them out on the slide. We love you guys. Grab your Bibles and get ready for a great sermon. Hey, everybody. Thank you for allowing us to be in your home today. Hey, you know, one of the benefits of having a Sunday service is that we can keep track of what day it is. And I know I'm, I know I'm not the only one that, you know, this whole day, this whole week has just felt like a never-ending day, like Groundhog Day. Uh, but uh, we're here. We're here together. We're getting ready to get into word, the Word of God. But uh, today is an exciting day because it marks the first day of Passion Week, also known as Holy Week. See, we are joining together today with Christians all over the world to take time this week to remember and reflect on the events of Jesus' last week. Now, if you're not in the practice of doing this, I want to encourage you to take one of the gospel accounts and read through the final week of Jesus' life. I think it's really important for us to understand. I think it's so important for every believer to really get familiar with what took place on Jesus' last week. You know, I believe this. This, is, this was a very important part of Jesus' story. So much that all four of the gospel writers, all, if you take all the, the gospels and you put them together, there is 89 chapters. And only four of those chapters cover the first 30 years of Jesus's life. That means that 85 of those chapters cover three and a half years of Jesus's last years of his life. And out of those 85 chapters, 29 of those cover the last week of Jesus's life. See, that proves to us of how important it is for us to understand what transpired on Jesus' last week. It's like every gospel writer that's telling the Jesus story, it's like they all just slowed down when it got to this part of Jesus' life. That's why I think it's important for us to read these events. You know, this week I started a nine-day journey through the Bible app. I don't know if you guys are on the Bible app, the Version app. I'm doing a study it's called the story of Easter that gives us a chronological order of that final week of Jesus's life. And I just recommend that you pick something like that, or you can join me on that. I'll post it later on this week so you can join me on that. But I'm excited to get into that every day to have a study to kind of reflect on what happened on that last week. But I'm so excited today because I believe that this is just a kickoff of a great week ahead. I think that there's going to be millions of people, millions of people that will hear and tune in to the gospel message and be exposed to the truth for the very first time. Amen. It's amazing how, how saturated social media is with the gospel and God's word. I mean, I want to tell you that we are truly living in some remarkable times where or everywhere it seems like churches are, are all online and they're all hearing this message. And I just believe that God is going to do a great work. Amen. I mean, there's been no time in history where we've had this much access yes. to the gospel, right. to the word of God. Right. And so I'm expecting so much for this year. I'm also so thankful that, that church is not restricted to a building. Yeah. I'm so thankful that, that God's present, presence isn't just manifested in a few ge geographical locations. Yeah, that's right. 
Right. I mean, Jesus made it very clear when he was talking to the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4. When he told her this, he says, Believe me, the time is coming where you will not worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but the time is coming and now it is where the Father, you could worship him in spirit and in truth wherever you're at. Right. And he says the Father seeks those kind of worshipers. Later on, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am with them. Aren't you glad that you live on this side of history? Where we get to experience this, where this is our reality. So wherever you're watching today, whether most of you are in your homes, in your living rooms, I want you to know that that today, that in this moment, as we are ushering in God's presence, that your place, your, your home has now become a holy sanctuary. It's become a place where God's presence will dwell. I don't know if you've really grabbed a hold of that today, but that is what's happening right now all over the world, all over America. And so maybe for the first time you've acknowledged that. And so we're going to do something as we pray for the reading of God's word today. I want you to grab a hand and kids, if you're with your mom and your dad right now, grab a hand of your mom and dad because, man, I want to tell you that kids have powerful faith. And right now, as we pray for our homes and we're praying to usher in God's presence as we get into the word of God, I want you to just remember that your place, your home is now become a holy place where God is dwelling. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you that God, your presence, Lord, is not restricted to one place, God, but it is with us, God, as we call upon you. You promised us that when we come together in two or three, God, that we call upon you and, and you come in and you dwell with us. We're so thankful for your awesome presence today. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I'm going to read the gospel account through the gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. It says this, it says, the next day, the great crowd had come for the festival. You might be wondering, what festival is this? Well, there was three major festivals in the Jewish calendar, and this was the festival called Passover. And this was a major one. This is where everybody and anyone who can get to Jerusalem would get there for this amazing festival for a whole week. And so you can imagine the crowds. And it says that they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it at, as it was written. Now, anytime you see that in scripture, it always refers back to an Old Testament prophecy. This particular one is found in Zechariah 9.9. Now, mind you, this was written 500 years before this moment. I think that's amazing how God does that. Even in all the details that God puts it in and, and he gets us ready to what to expect. And this is what it says in Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, verse 15 is in reference to that particular passage. It says this, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, which means when he ascended, did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that, this, that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the, so the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, what we see in this passage is that Jesus is being worshipped and elevated as the king, the long-awaited Messiah, publicly for the very first time. Now, I want to tell you, this is a very big deal because up to this point, most people didn't agree on who Jesus was. You know, they were thinking, wasn't he a carpenter? from the city of Nazareth that turned rabbi? But then people start realizing, no, he's much more than that. They were talking about the things that they saw. 
him do the miracles where he healed the blind eyes and healed the crippled. And they're saying, no, he's much more than just an ordinary rabbi. And then they saw him confound the, the religious teachers of the day with his wisdom. And they said, surely this man is from God. Maybe he's a prophet. So there was a lot of talk about who Jesus was. Not everybody agreed. But in this moment, when they heard about the news about this man, Lazarus, who was dead in a tomb for four days, when they heard that Jesus came and he called this man out of the tombs and this guy raised from the dead, all of a sudden they're like, this guy is much more than a prophet. He's much more than just a teacher. He has to be the one to come, the Messiah. So they started to believe. Now Jesus, up to this point, he didn't allow himself to be called the king yet. Some people try to force him into the throne, but it wasn't the appointed time. But what we're seeing in this passage is that this was the appointed time. And it just so happened to be, it was five days before his crucifixion, seven days before his resurrection. Now, what you need to understand is that everything Jesus did was on purpose for a purpose. Everything. And he knew that it was a tremendous risk for him to proclaim himself as king in public. See, his kingship immediately was a threat to a king who was already sitting on the throne named Herod. More importantly, it was a threat to the power of authority at the time, which was the Roman Empire. Jesus knew that his time was coming to completion. His mission was almost fulfilled. And he told his disciples on entering into Jerusalem, he said, I will be turned over to the Gentiles and they will sentence me to death. But for some reason, the disciples, they didn't understand. But I want to tell you that everything that Jesus did was like pieces to a puzzle. Every prophecy needed to be fulfilled. Every law needed to be followed so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. And here Jesus is almost done. And he's putting the final pieces in the puzzle in place so that all mankind can get the grand message that God sent. And what I love about the Gospel of John is that he eloquently and, 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 and brilliantly puts it and describes it in this way in just a few sentences. This is John 3.16. Many of you are familiar with that. It's this. For God so loved the world. He so loved you and I that he gave, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. That whosoever, that anyone, anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now the Jews, they anticipated this king, this Messiah that would bring a kingdom on earth like no other kingdom the earth has ever known. A kingdom that, that, that kingdom would be established forever. And they were waiting for thousands of years. And because of their Roman oppression in this time, they thought this couldn't have came at a better time. And the day finally showed up. He finally showed up on the scene. Now, I think for many of us, especially us Americans, I mean, we seem to lose the impact of what's happening here in this moment. See, we've never lived under the rule of a king or a kingdom, at least not for the past 250 years. So let's be honest. Sometimes it's hard for us to grasp the, the magnitude of what's happened. I mean, up till right now, we've never really been told by our governor what we should do and shouldn't do. Right? I mean, I mean, how many of us are struggling right now because we are told that we have to stay home? I mean, we don't like that, right? That doesn't feel good to us. Yeah. We don't like to allow one person to rule over us. We like to decide and elect people to lead us. We like to have the power to remove them from that power over us when we feel like they're not doing a good job. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm so thankful for our democracy. I'm so thankful for, for living in a place like this. But I'm just making a point here that, that many times when we read the scripture through an American filter, it's hard for us to grasp the magnitude of what this means. See, the people in this passage, they knew what it was like to live under the rule of a king and under his kingdom. They've had many kings in their history, and a lot of them were not good guys. But here comes Jesus, their new king. And they're excited about this new era. They had all these expectations of what this would mean for their lives. So the question in their mind in this moment wasn't if Jesus was a king. No, the big question for them was what kind of king would Jesus be? Right. Now, I believe that there are some of us today that are watching here, that you're looking at this feed 
you're listening to this message and you're maybe be struggling deep inside and wondering, is Jesus the king? Is Jesus worthy of my life to surrender to his kingship? Is he worthy, worthy to be the king of my heart? And what I want to do with the time I have left is I want to help you. I want to look at this passage, and my hope is that I can give you four insights to answer that question of what kind of king is Jesus. So number one, we have to understand this, is that Jesus is a king in his own right. Now, I mentioned earlier that this particular story is mentioned in all four Gospels. But what I find fascinating about this particular Gospel in John's account is that it's actually the shortest of all the stories which is really strange to me because John puts almost half of his gospel all in the last week of Jesus. He gives all the details about every other event, but when it comes to this event, it's pretty short. It doesn't have a lot of details like the other ones do. And at first glance, I was looking at it, and I was like, it doesn't make sense to me. Why John was an eyewitness. John was one of the closest disciples. Why did he leave this out? Why didn't he give us all the details that the other guys gave? But as I dug a little deeper, something came as I was looking through it, and I realized that each one of these Gospels had a theme. And John's theme is very evident from the very beginning. Do you remember John 1.1? He says, in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, that he existed. And he says, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Now, I believe that if you and I got to hang out with John today, and have a cup of coffee. I think that John would be so passionate to convince us that Jesus was God. That's really what his whole gospel is pointed to. He wants us to know that Jesus is God, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as we look through his gospel, that's everything. Every story is pointing to that. And so I was looking at this, and I thought, man, I would expect that in this particular moment, when there was hundreds, maybe thousands of people in Jerusalem, and they're finally accepting Jesus as their king, publicly proclaiming it out loud that this would be the climax of John's gospel. You might expect that in this moment, John would pause and he would say, see, this is what it's all about. This is leading to that amazing moment. But he is silent. He doesn't talk much. And I think that's why he made this point, And I want to make it now, is that Jesus is not a king that is made by the crowd. Jesus is not a king who needs a crowd's approval. He doesn't need your approval. He doesn't need my approval to be the king. He is already the king. He has always been the king. He's the king in his own right. We have nothing to do with making him the king. He was the king, is the king, and always will be the king of kings. See, I believe this, friends, is that true faith is is not making Jesus king. It's recognizing the fact that Jesus is the king. See, we don't make Jesus do anything. We don't make Jesus anything with our confession of faith. We recognize this eternal truth with our confession of faith. See, the book of Romans says it great here in chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you openly declare, in other words, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that word is meaning God and King, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. In other words, that if you recognize Jesus as the King, That is the entryway to Christianity. That's the starting point. And if you're on the fence today, if you're you're hanging out and you're not sure, then I want to tell you, discover that, investigate that, ask questions, figure that out for yourself, because I'm telling you that if the answer is yes, then friends, everything changes. Everything changes. Because I want to tell you that this is the essence of Christianity, is confessing Jesus as Lord, as the King. And this is not just a one-time event either. This is an everyday decision. This is not about escaping hell. This is about following Jesus to heaven. Every day we have to make a decision to decide who is the king of my life. And the question is, is Jesus king? For some of us who've been following Jesus, is Jesus still the king? So we know this about Jesus is that he is a king in his own right. And number two, Jesus is king with his own agenda. Jesus is king with his own agenda. See, the crowd had their own agenda for Jesus. Look at what they do. Verse 13, it says, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, 
when you read this, and you, you might imagine this, this beautiful celebration, maybe this Macy's Day parade, but let me tell you, the reality was not that. This was more like a frantic political rally. This was like a revolutionary powder keg ready to explode. How do I know that? Listen up. These palm branches that they're waving, it was like a, a, it had a lot of political undertones to it. See, they were a symbol of national pride to the people. It would be like us waving our flags and wearing red, white, and blue. They knew that their Roman oppressors were watching them. And here you have hundreds of thousands of people, and they're waving their national pride because of their long-awaited conquer is now here. Here's a little historical content about this story. See, 200 years prior to this moment, Israel was ruled by Syria. And, and it says that these, these freedom fighters showed up and they came and they conquered Syria and they took back the land and they gave the people back their land and they cleansed the temple. And so it says that when these freedom fighters, when they came back into the streets of Jerusalem, it says that the people came in celebration and they grabbed palm branches and they started waving it. See, these palm branches, they represented triumph and victory to these people. And so as they're doing this in a particular festival, in a particular holiday, where they are remembering the great freedom that they experienced as a people when they were set, set free from the captivity of Egypt, you can imagine what was happening in their hearts as freedom and hope started to rise up within them. The anticipation of a revolution started to stir up in their hearts. And then they shout this word, Hosanna. Hosanna. We might not know what that means, but it's a Hebrew phrase. It's actually only mentioned one time in Scripture before. It's in the Old Testament in Psalms 118. See, Hosanna had a significant meaning. It was translated as a cry for help. So it was like these people, as Jesus is coming by, they're shouting and they're saying, help us. And it wasn't just a cry or a plea. It was a demand. They said, help us now. Rescue us now. We need it now. So when you put those two things together, the, the branches waving and the shouts of Hosanna, then it becomes very clear what these people wanted from Jesus. They wanted their freedom from Roman oppression. They had their own agenda for Jesus based on their expectations of what Jesus can do for them. Have you ever wondered how this crowd, these people, can, can shout Hosanna on Sunday and shout crucify him on Friday? Wow. See, that's what happens when people realize that Jesus doesn't follow their agenda. He follows his own agenda. And it's always bigger and greater than our own. Right. See, Jesus is interested more in meeting, is, Jesus is not interested in meeting our wants and trying to fulfill our expectations. Jesus is more focused on meeting our greatest need. The people wanted to be free from Rome, but Jesus was focused on breaking the bondage of sin in their life. So before we start to judge these people, because I know some of us are, some of us have, we got to quickly do a heart check right now. I want you to think about your own prayer life. I want you to think about your prayers. What do they sound like? Do you spend time saying, Jesus, I want this, I want that, I need you to do this? Is, is your prayer life, does this sound like your agenda? Now, there's nothing wrong with coming to God with our worries and our cares. He invites us to do that. He says, you can bring them to me. But is our prayers so full of us bringing our agenda to Jesus? Or are we people with the posture of prayer? If he's really king of our hearts, do we come to him and do we submit our agenda to his agenda and try to line up to him because he's the one that's going to fulfill our greatest needs? That's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all other things are added. See, there, they thought their greatest need was to be free from Rome, but Jesus was doing something greater. He was going to set them free from the bondage of sin. See, Jesus' agenda is always greater than our own. So Jesus is a king in his own right. He is a king with his own agenda that we can trust, friends. And third, Jesus is a king who offers peace. He didn't come as a warrior king, that the people expected. He came as the servant, and that was unexpected. Now, trust me, he will come back as a warrior king, but this wasn't that moment. 
See, he came, and we learn this in the, in, the, in the Christmas story, is that he came as the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace between God and man. Now remember, there was a massive crowd in this moment, and they're yelling, Hosanna, and they're waving their branches. And on the outside, it looked like worship, but Jesus knew their hearts. He knew that they were looking for the warrior king, not the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. In Luke's gospel, it says that, that after this moment, Jesus starts to weep over this city because they missed the meaning of his coming. It says this, Jesus came riding on a young donkey. Even though this was predicted hundreds of years before this ever happened, the people were confused by it. They wanted their king on a white stallion, not a young donkey. Now, if they would have read their Bibles, if they would have known their Bibles a little better, maybe they would have had a different perspective. Maybe they would have received peace when he showed up on that day. Here's the thing. What I learned about Christians is that the ones that really know their Bible, they carry a lot more peace than those that don't. Just a little side note there. Know your Bible. Know your Bible. But there's such a message in this gospel all throughout it. See, Jesus continues to stay in this posture until the very end, this posture of a humble servant. I mean, you know that just in a few days later, he, he's, he's the one that comes and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. He goes to the garden and, and he's, he's in anguish and, he's, and he's, the Bible says he's sweating drops of blood and yet, yet he's saying, not my will, but thy will be done. He's the humble servant that even on the, on the, on the cross when he's suffering and in anguish and pain, he asks for forgiveness for his accusers executioners and abusers. Philippians says it best about the humility of Christ when it says this. It says, And he found the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Friends, I want to tell you that his pain purchased our peace. The peace that Jesus brings is greater than world peace. Now let me tell you, there will be world peace on the day of his second coming when he rules and reigns forevermore. But the peace that he brought on the cross for us is a peace that can anchor down any soul who trusts in him. I can't tell you how many times I've depended on this peace in my life. You know, life is stressful, especially right now. I think many of us are feeling the pressure, the burden of it. And there's things that in our life that are uncertain. We don't know what the future holds. Yet Jesus offers us his perfect peace in every moment of that And what I have discovered this is where there is no Jesus, there is no peace. I've had moments in my life where where I've been super stressed, so stressed that I couldn't sleep. I was restless. And it's in those moments that I pause and I realize that I'm not pursuing Jesus because where there is no Jesus, there is no peace. But if I can pursue Jesus, I receive peace. Now, I know there's some skeptics out there that are, that are listening and they're saying, yeah, yeah, Pastor Omar, I, I, I pursue Jesus. I love Jesus, but why did I lose my job? Why did I get sick? That has robbed me of my peace. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't promise us that in this life we wouldn't have struggles, that we wouldn't have trials, that we wouldn't have hardships. And I told you this a few weeks ago. What he did promise is that he would be with us in our struggles, in our trials, and in the times that are hard. But he would bring us this peace that he would guide us through it with a peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, now you might think about that and say, how do you explain that type of peace that has surpassed all understanding? I know, here's the thing, I really can't explain it so much to say that it is real and it is a mystery because it's supernatural, because it's the manifestation of his presence through the Holy Spirit. It's a peace of knowing that he is with us. We might not understand what's going on. We might not understand and can't figure it out, but we trust in him that he's the one that will figure it out and get us through. And what you do is that you trust him in those moments and you wait and you trust one day at a time, one step at a time. And he gives you this grace in those moments to make it through the day to the next, to the next, and you wait and you trust, and and then eventually the promise comes to pass. That's the God that we serve. That is the king of kings. Jesus is the king in his own right. Jesus is the king with his own agenda that we can trust. Jesus is the king that offers peace. And lastly, he is the king whose kingdom is advancing. 
See, when this movement started over 2,000 years ago, this, this church, I want to tell you something about the church that Jesus built. It's unstoppable. Yeah. You know, one thing that's been so evident to me during this whole time of this, of this, of this current pandemic is that even though we can't gather in buildings, the church is still going. And I would go out to say that it is thriving. There is churches multiplying. There, there is churches going further than they ever gone before. So how does this happen? How does this, what, 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 what do we learn from this? Well, let me tell you, I think the secret is in this passage. It says this, go back to verse 17. It says this, it says, Now the crowd that was with them when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Now look, the whole world has gone after him. See, this movement, his kingdom, it kept growing because of what people shared about him. And it got people to want to know him. That's how the church has been built for the last 2,000 plus years. And it will continue to be built in the same way by the blood of the lamb, meaning Jesus' sacrificial death and the truth about his resurrection. And then by your story, his impact in your life. That's how the church has always been growing. That's how the church has always been moving. That is the movement that Jesus started. Jesus himself declared this. He says that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church that he built. Now, the Pharisees, they, they saw this as a problem. So they decided to shut it down. They thought that if they could kill him, they can kill the movement. So they began to plot his death. And soon they arrested him. And then they handed him over to Roman officials to be flogged. And he got beat to about an inch of his life, just long enough to where he could carry this beam, this cross. And so they made him carry this cross all the way out to the city so that people could, could, could mock him and spit on him and, and throw things at him. And he had to carry this cross all the way up to a hill to then be crucified. Now these Pharisees, they thought that they took care of Jesus. They thought that it was over. However, the King of Kings had one more move. Three days later, he resurrects from the dead and there's 500 eyewitnesses that see him, that, 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 that interact with him. They thought that the movement was finished, but what they didn't realize that it was just getting started. Jesus' movement, this church, spread like wildfire. Even in the face of fierce persecution, it continued to grow, and it continued to change lives. It does it, it, does it today as well. It changes lives. How? Through the power and the presence of the King, Jesus. And it will continue to advance every day. It's advancing right now. And so, what kind of king is Jesus? He's a king in his own right. He's a king with his own agenda, and it's one that can be trusted. He's a king that offers us peace, and he's a king whose kingdom is unstoppable, whose kingdom is always advancing. And so really in this moment, we have to ask ourselves, who is the king? Have we decided to make Jesus the king? And maybe for some of you who are watching today, maybe you haven't made that decision. You haven't been convinced of it yet. But through this message and through looking at scripture, you're convinced, you're saying, maybe there's something to this and you want to get to know this king. You want to learn how to submit under his lordship because you know that he is the author of life. He's the one that can come and bring you the peace that you long for. He's not a, he's not a king that is a tyrant. He's a king that lovingly came as a, as a servant to purchase your life. And today is your day. And so if that's you, I want you to respond however you can. Whether you type something in, maybe you throw an emoji on there, like a hand, like you're raising your hand, or maybe just an emoji crown that just says, hey, I want him to be the king of my heart. I want to surrender my life to his kingship today to experience this new life. You don't have to wait. You can do it now. Maybe there's some of us who we've been following Jesus. We say he's the king of our lives, but we really look at our lives today and we're just like, you know what? I have not been submitting to that. I, I, I've been doing things my way, and today you want to come back under the kingdom 
in the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, forgive me. God, I need you. I remember the days where I felt that peace and I want to receive it today. And if that's you, then you just come to him as you are. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus that he would come and he would receive you and he would restart your life. You could do that today. And then for us that, that have been waiting for this moment to just reflect on what Jesus said, we could be thankful, we could praise because we know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We know the one that has a final answer. We can sing Hosanna because we know that he did save us, that he is with us and that he conquered it all for us. And so we belong to him and our lives are daily surrendered to him under his kingship and his lordship in our lives. That's something to celebrate, friends. I'm so thankful that you, that you tuned us in today. We love you. We're so thankful for you. We're, we're excited for what this week means for us. We're going to take time to reflect on this amazing sacrifice on Friday night. So I hope that you join us. And we're going to partake of communion together. So, so be posted on, on Facebook and see our posts because we're going to explain how to be ready for that, how to be prepared for that. I think it's amazing for you to do with your family. Maybe you've never done that before and you're going to get the opportunity this Friday. And then join us and invite somebody for next Sunday as we celebrate the risen King, Jesus Christ. The greatest story ever told. We're going to get to celebrate that together can't wait. Thank you, you so much for tuning you. in and joining us on this Sunday morning service. We wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a few ways that you can connect with us during the week, during this time of social distancing. I don't know if you've seen, but on Facebook and on Instagram, we are starting up Zoom groups. We have four sisterhood groups that are starting, which are basically ladies Bible studies. You can find out more information about that if you go to our Facebook page, Grace Sisterhood. We also have a few different options for our men that are coming up. That is also available on Facebook on our Grace Men's Facebook page. Make sure you're getting online, make sure you're checking out our website and staying connected with us during this time. We're praying for you and we're so thankful for this opportunity to share our Sunday morning together. Have a great week.